Get it together. We got to get it together. And you guys got it together enough to be here this morning. Congratulations. Welcome to everyone online. I'm so glad that you're here as well. Uh, I hope that the Lord works through me today to speak something uh, impactful in your life. So I wanted to get it together this year in 2021. 2020 was quite an experience. So I just decided, and this year, I'm going to get it together. And uh, so I made this New Year's resolution that I was going to walk five miles every day. So I went out to a pet store, and I got a puppy, and I named this dog Five Miles. So when, I come, when I'm outside and I come back inside, Lena says, honey, where have you been? I said, oh, I just walked five miles. And I didn't lie. It's not a lie. I just hope I don't run over five miles. <laughs> None of that's true, by the way. Do we do resolutions like that? We like the easy way out, don't we? I mean, uh, I've heard some, some churches do uh, Lent and, or, 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 you know, let's fast of something. Okay, I'm going to give up broccoli. Like, come on. That... That's the easy way out. That's like making a New Year's resolution that you're going to walk five miles every day and you get a puppy and name him five miles just so you can walk him around the block and say you walked five miles. That's, that's, that's the easy way out. Church, I think some of us have taken the easy way out. We've got to get it together. That's why the message today is called get it together. Turn to the person next to you and say, get it together, man. We like to look for the easy way. Maintenance is far more appealing than... Improvement. I, I encourage you, this is kind of, kind of the, my gusto for this morning. Be content, but never be satisfied. There's a big difference. Be content, but never be satisfied. This isn't just a pep talk. This is scriptural. Let me prove it. Psalm 33.3 says, play skillfully. Ephesians 2.10 says, work to show yourself approved. James 2 says, faith without works is dead. Matthew 25 is a parable of the bags of gold. And the master was not pleased with the man that took what God gave him and buried it. Do the very least, invest it. Make more out of it. Colossians 3, whatever you do, do it heartily. Romans 12.11, never be lacking in zeal. Be content, but don't be satisfied. Let's get it together. The opposite of all these things, of, of, the opposite of the idea of improvement is complacency. And the nature, the very nature of complacency is that you don't realize when you've become it. Think about that. Oh, I'm not complacent. Just think for a second. The nature of complacency is you don't know it. Anyone who's ever been complacent didn't, fall, didn't realize when they stepped into it. It's like a, like a little ditch. They just kind of stumbled into it. That's the nature of what it means to be complacent. Church, God has called us to do much more than to be experts at Netflix. He's called us to, to do so much more. He's given us a mission. Let's get it together. I, um, I, I have some experience with music, and I've done a lot of choirs. And there was one community choir I was in, and uh, there was one guy in this choir who couldn't sing 
worth a lick. I mean, he wasn't even close. Uh, we're all singing the note, ah, and he's like, ah, just totally different note. It was, yeah, some of you are snickering, right? Like, everyone in the choir is like, okay, here's that guy. And I'll never forget one day, this guy, like, like the guy that can't sing here, and there's a guy that's right in front of me, and I hear him singing this crazy note, and the guy next to him turns. He, he had no choir experience, right? And so he's like, he's like right in front of me, and he hears this note that wasn't even close to the right one. And I watched this guy go, what's your problem, man? Get it together. <laughs> right in the middle of the show, <laughs> people are in the audience. What's your problem, man? Get it together. I wonder if the angels were with us and watched our life sometimes, if they might look at some of us once in a while. Angels might want to say to us, what's your problem, man? Get it together. You're called to so much more. You have a mission in life. You are created for good works. Let's get it together. Don't lean forward. Don't lean back. Don't get relaxed this year. Lean forward. To be better. To push forward, to improve, to uh, um, work hard to show ourselves a workman approved. It requires reflection. I've heard people say that experience is the best teacher. It's not true. That's true. It's not true. Experience is not the best teacher. Examined experience is the best teacher. There's a lot of people that go through marriages like popcorn. They've had plenty of experiences, but didn't examine them. And they may go through the same mistakes over and over. Examined experience is the best teacher. So I encourage you today. Uh, I'm going to, in just a moment, I'm going to share some priorities of what I feel are God's priorities for our lives. If we don't have these things in the right order, things aren't going to be right. Our life isn't going to shine. We're not going to be functioning as God intends for us to function. But in order for this to hit home with you, we have to start with an open heart of examining our own priorities, examining our own experiences. Can we do that together? Before I give you that list, uh, I want to share with you a few thoughts on priorities. Here are a few thoughts on priorities. A priority is something that takes precedence over something else. A priority is something that takes precedence over something else. Priorities is all about getting things in the right order. 1 Corinthians 14.33 says, For God is not a God of disorder, but of peace. You can tell what your real priority is, because when the pressure is on, when things get hot, this is what you worry about. This is the thing that comes to the surface. It's what takes precedence over something else. Uh, a few years ago, I was riding my bike on a, on a pretty busy street. And um, unfortunately, I had, to, I had to get into traffic. I had to get into the lane of traffic because the edge of the road was off. So this is not like a huffy, like I was, I was cooking, right? But like maybe close to eight, 18 miles an hour, maybe. So I'm cooking, right? And I was getting into the, into the road. And I know that there's a line of cars behind me. But I can't get back over until the, the brim extends. And so I'm... And then I come up to railroad tracks, 
And so I'm slowing down, so I don't, you know, do one of those. And so I slow down, and I put the brakes on, but I failed to lean my weight backwards. Rookie mistake, right? Because I should have done that, but I didn't. So I braked, and my weight was still forward, and forward I go, and I go down, and I tumble, and my bike crashed, and I was all scratched up. But in that moment, I didn't care about the scratches. I didn't care about me hardly. It was like, I'm alive. Okay, next thing, I swung my head around to look and make sure I wasn't going to get ran over. Like, like, does this lady see me? And the lady right there, she saw me, and, I, and I, I made eye contact right with her, and I saw her go, I saw her do one of these things. She, she went, <laughs> I'm like, thanks. But when I fell, my priority was my life. Because I knew there was a car 10 feet behind me. Did they see me fall? Are they going to go right over me? When the pressure's on, what comes to the surface for you? That's your actual priority, right? That's what it is. Your priorities are not what you say they are. They're just not. Your priorities are whatever comes to the surface when the pressure's on. Your priorities are proven in what you do or what you have done. So let's think about 2020. There, there's a year, for, uh, a year for the pressure to be on. What came to the top when your job was gone? What came to the top when, uh, what, what took priority of your life when your normal structure was gone? What took priority when your kids were home with you while you tried to work. What took priority when your guy lost the election? What took priority when you were quarantined? What, what earned your attention then? Those are your actual priorities. Preach it, Pastor Adam. That's a good word. I, I like that. Thank you. So God's a God of order. We need to put things in the right order. Let's get it together. Turn to the person next to you and say, get it together. Let's reprioritize in a good way, in a God way. Here's another thought on, thought on priorities. Don't base your priorities on others. Your priorities should be what God says your priorities should be, not what other people do. If you base your priorities on what other people do, uh, say, buy, show, or talk about, your priorities are really their priorities. That's, that's, that's messed up. In fact, it's quite foolish. Second Corinthians 10.12 says it like this. We do not dare to classify or compare ourselves with some who commend themselves when they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves. They are not wise. Here's another thought. Don't base your priorities on your feelings. You are not an emotion. You have emotions. God gives us those emotions but you're not an emotion. The funny thing about, about emotions and feelings is that feelings are fact, but they're not always true. You understand the difference? I feel like everyone hates me. That's fact. The fact is I feel like everyone hates me, but that doesn't make it true. That doesn't make it true. My feeling is fact, but it's not always true. Sometimes feelings lie. So because of that, fear or anger, or any other emotion that we could have should never be a reason to not do the right thing. Don't base your priorities on your feelings. Why did David go after Bathsheba? A feeling. Why did Moses strike to a rock 
when God told him to speak to the rock? A feeling. Why did Jonah run west when God said east? A feeling. Why did Peter deny Jesus? A feeling. Feelings are fact, but they're not true, always. So don't base your priorities on your feelings. In fact, many of these lie feelings exist simply because priorities are out of whack. An example would be, like, 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 anyone ever been a little bit scared or nervous to present the gospel to somebody? Like, like oh, I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to stand up for what I believe in. <laughs> Why? It's fear of rejection. It's fear of rejection. That fear of rejection goes away almost entirely when you realize how much you've been accepted by the king. Your priorities are just out of whack. So what do we base our priorities on? We base our priorities on God's word. It's the only thing that doesn't change. It's the only thing that's constant. We base our priorities on God's word. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Who's that talking about? The servant of God. Who's that? Bingo! She just said me. That's about all y'all. Me too. That's about all of us. The servant of God can be equipped for every good work. We are called to do good works. We are called to make a difference in our world. So we base our priorities on God's word to get it together. Psalm 17.4 says, I have followed your commands which have kept me from going along with cruel and evil people. Church, God knows better than we do. What he says our priorities should be, they should be. And it's not him being bossy. It's not him being bossy. I've used the, the example before of, um, of, of my car. When, when the mechanic says, change your oil, I don't say, don't tell me to change my oil. You can't tell me what to do. I say, oh, okay. I better change the oil on this thing because the guy that made it says it's going to break if I don't change the oil, so I better change the oil. The guy that made it says what these priorities need to be in my life. It's not him being bossy. It's him loving me. It's him giving me, a, giving me a plan for my life. Uh, earlier this week, my son Caleb wasn't doing what uh, we had asked him to do. And my daughter decided that she was, my, my son is five, my daughter is four. And my four-year-old decided that she was going to uh, help us out. And so we were telling Caleb what to do. And here, my four-year-old daughter, Elizabeth, all in one, just, she didn't even pause when she said this, all in one smooth sentence, one breath. She said, Caleb, sit down. Oops, I'm not in charge. I forgot. I thought I was an adult. <laughs> and I just giggled at her. Oops, I forgot I wasn't, I wasn't in charge. I thought I was in charge. Do we sometimes think we're in charge? Do we sometimes forget that we're, we're human? We're human and we serve a God that made us. Isaiah 55.8 says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts. God says this to us. My thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. We like to put our priorities in our order, don't we? I like my priorities. But my ways are not God's ways. And I know that his ways are better. 
Okay, so when we try to get our priorities outside of God's word, uh, our life isn't going to shine. Our life isn't going to shine the way it should. So I'm going to give you uh, eight priorities. I believe these are God's priorities for us. I heard these um, in this list in this order from uh, Pastor Ed Gunger, uh, I don't know, a while ago, 15 years ago. And I never forgot this, and I wanted to share it with you today. Eight priorities that God has for us, I believe. Uh, and if you get these out of order, your life isn't going to shine. It's just not. And as I share these, I encourage you, reflect. 2020 was an experience. Boy, was it an experience. But it, we won't learn unless we examine the experience. Here's priority number one. God's priorities for us were priority number one. You probably guessed it, your relationship with God. This is the easy one that we would all guess. The others might not be quite as easy to guess. Your relationship with God. It's got to be first. God likes to be number one. It's his thing. And it's not that he's like, oh, give me the glory. I'm number one. It's he knows who he is. It's just an accurate view of himself. He's God. This has to be number one because Jesus said so. Matthew 22 says, Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. Amen. So it's number one. If you've got tension on the job with your family, tension with your mom, tension with your wife, tension with your kids, tension with God, the very first thing to deal with is this. Start here, your relationship with God. Because your relationship with God, it's, it's not isolated into just the spiritual realm of your relationship, relationship with God. Your relationship with God is actually connected with how you work in the world around you. How you relate to other people is totally connected with your relationship with God. Galatians 5.22 says this, the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. So think of what happens if you don't have the Holy Spirit in your life. If you don't have a good relationship with God, these things don't exist. Uh, joy, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There's no law against these things. That means if you don't put God first, your life will be filled with disunity, bitterness, sadness, fear, selfishness, meanness, badness, and laziness. I don't want that. I don't want that for me. I don't want that for you. The solution is God first. If you fight to stay close to Jesus, your life will shine. You need to be a part of church more. You need to come to church every week. You need to uh, read your Bible more and turn the TV off. You need to live generously as a response to God's work in your life. You need to, you need to do it. Uh, you need to pray more. You, not because it's legalism, though. We need to do all those things to keep God first. But not because of rules but because it helps us. When we keep this first, everything else goes better. Amen. Amen. Preach it, Pastor Adam. All right, here, whoa. You, this is interesting. I just got a blank page in the middle. I have no idea where that came from. You ever do that? Like you do like an extra page and then you print it out. It's like, where's this blank page? Sorry, that was weird. ADD moment. Number two, priority. Yourself. We have to take care of ourselves. Matthew twenty-two thirty-nine. We just read Matthew 22 a second ago, where Jesus said the first commandment is to love your God 
with, all your, with everything. Love God. This is the first and greatest commandment. He continues. The second commandment is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. How are you supposed to love anyone else if you don't love yourself? Have you ever thought about that? Your capacity to love your neighbor is limited. It's capped by the love for yourself. If you don't take care of yourself, you have nothing to give. This isn't about selfishness or self-centeredness. The Bible's very clear. We should uh, prefer one another's above ourselves in humility. That's a, that is a big deal. But the, we, we can't do that well unless we've taken care of ourselves. It's not about selfishness. This is about seeing, the, seeing yourself the way God sees you. Psalm 139 tells us how God sees us. The psalmist wrote, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. His works are wonderful. What are God's works? He has so many of them. But you're sitting next to one of his works. His works are wonderful. I know that full well. In fact, um, again, again, when I say that, you're, that yourself is priority number two, what I mean is seeing yourself the way God sees you. I want to share this. Um, a couple weeks ago, I was speaking, and my son, gave, he was sitting over there, and he gave me this letter. I don't know if we can get a close-up on this, maybe. My son gave me this letter, um, and he crossed out all, because he's just learning how to write, he's learning his sounds, and he crossed out all of his mistake words that he made. And I can look through that. There's just, there's just a few letters that still exist um, that he didn't cross out. And when I look at it, it says, best dad ever. And all the church said, <laughs> my dad said, amen, aw. That's what it was, aw. <laughs> But the truth is if, is, if this was laying down somewhere and you picked it up, you'd probably see some scribbles. This would not be important to you. And you'd see some scribbles and you'd probably put it in the trash can. Because to you, it's trash. But to me, the first thing I thought when I saw this thing was, where's a frame? Like, I love this. No one guided him to sound out the words best dad ever. He figured it out on his own. For me. It's trash to you. It's not trash to me. It's not trash to me at all. You may have been called trash. But that doesn't make you trash. You may have been treated like trash, but that doesn't make you trash. You may have been viewed as trash, but that doesn't make you trash. You may have made some mistakes and to this day view yourself as trash. Your mistakes do not define your future. Your mistakes are just defining your past. You may view yourself as trash, worthless, good for nothing, can't be forgiven, or ineligible to be loved. 
but that doesn't make it true. Forgive yourself. Because if you can't love yourself, you can't love others. However, however well you do at loving yourself will be the cap of loving other people. God's works, and you are one of them, are wonderful. I know that full well. All right, here's number three. The third priority. Your spouse, if you're married. Your spouse, if you're married. Please note, I did not say your significant other. I did not say your boyfriend. I did not say your girlfriend. There is something very special, biblically, about marriage. Marriages matter. They matter a huge amount. I'm going to read this, Ephesians chapter 5. You can follow along with me. Ephesians chapter 5, out of the message. Out of respect for Christ, be courteously, courteously reverent to one another. Wives, understand and support your husbands in ways that show your support for Christ. The husband provides leadership to his wife the way Christ does to his church. Not by domineering, but by cherishing. So as the church submits to Christ as he exercises such leadership, wives should likewise submit to their husbands. Now, husbands, go all out on your love for your wives, exactly as Christ did for the church, a love marked by giving, not getting. Christ's love makes the church whole. His words evoke her beauty. Everything he does and says is designed to bring the best out of her, dressing her in dazzling white silk, radiant with holiness. And that is how husbands ought to love their wives. They're really doing themselves a favor since they're already one in marriage. No one abuses his own body, does he? No, he feeds and pampers it. That's how Christ treats us, the church, since we are a part of his body. And this is why a man leaves his father and mother and cherishes his wife, no longer two, but they become one flesh. This is a huge mystery, and I don't pretend to understand it all. What is clearest to me is, is the way Christ treats the church, and this provides a good picture of how each husband is to treat his wife, loving himself and loving her, and how each wife is to honor her husband. Church, marriage is worth fighting for. It's not the same. The marriage, Christian marriage, is different than having a significant other. It, it's, it's different. The two become one in, in Christian marriage. And that's a picture of the church. So when the rubber hits the road, when... When problems come in, when the heat intensifies, don't let your spouse take a low priority. A marriage is worth fighting for. If you're sitting next to the person you're married to, say, you're worth fighting for. Let's turn to him. Tell him. Number four priority, your children. Ephesians 6, 4, fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. It says fathers, but the Greek word there could very well, just as well have been uh, translated parents. Parents, don't exasperate your children. We have a we have parents, we have this task to get truth into our kids. It's very important. Uh, Deuteronomy 6 says it like this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments I give to you today are to be on your hearts. What do we do with them? And press them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you're walking along the road, and when you lie down and when you get up. How are we going to do that if we... Oh. That's our task, parents. 
right? To instill truth into our kids. But if we disobey Ephesians 6, 4, fathers do not, parents do not exasperate your children, how's that going to work? It doesn't. It doesn't. Exasperating means to intensely make furiating. Sometimes we can make things worse than they need to be. Let's not do that. I'm really thankful for our kids' ministry in our church. I love how they've risen during this season. We haven't had kids' ministry classes, but anyone that says we have no kids' ministry, um, you're just not paying attention. Or you're not a parent getting the emails. Um, but I love how, as a parent, I've been empowered to disciple my kids in this season. I don't, I'm looking for Mike and Becky, but I don't see him right here. Mike and Becky, wherever you are, thank you for all that you've done for the parents of this church. I think right now our kids' ministry is it's a different level. It's, um, I think in a lot of ways, we're healthier than we've ever been because we put power into the parents, which is, which is hugely important and scriptural and important. Parents, are, your, are children a high priority in your life? Is instilling truth into them a high priority? If it's not, let's get it together. Let's get it together. Fifth priority, I'm going to start flying through these. Fifth priority is the church, your church. Your church. Matthew 16, 18 says, Upon this rock I will build my church, and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. When Jesus said that, he says, Upon this rock I will build my ecclesia. I will build my called out assembly of believers. And there's going to be so much energy in the called out assembly of believers that hell can't stop them. Hoorah! Being together is important. So let's put it on our calendar. Make sure we, uh, we make it a priority. Number six, priority. Your work and your ministry. Your work and your ministry. Anybody got a job? Yep, then you, okay, cool. Then you have ministries too. They do come hand in hand. Your work and your ministry. This is where, naturally, this is where we're going to spend the most of our time. But that doesn't make, the, make it the top priority, right? If you're at work and you get a phone call that a family member is dying, that takes priority. You're, you're, you're out of there. You say, I'm sorry, I'll, be, I'll come back when I can. That's, that's, the pri- that's how priorities work. So it's not that you spend the most time here, but it's that this is the place for the priority to occur. Christians, I believe, should be very creative at our jobs because we have access to the creator. We should be the problem solvers. I wish someday in some factory or some office somewhere, there'd be some manager or owner who's talking to his board of directors and says, if we can can find more Christians to hire them, let's get them in here because those people are faithful. That would be cool, wouldn't it? Okay, I'm just going to keep flying through it. Number seven, your extended family. That's all I have to say about that. Number eight, (laughs) the rest of the world. The rest of the world. People you work with, people that you need to share the gospel with, people that God's called you to share the gospel with, people at Walmart, the clerk at Kroger, person who cut you off. This really is our goal, really. To reach the world is our goal. If you're a Christian, this is your life school. 
but we won't be good at this unless we have the others in right alignment. We have to go up. The rest of the world is our, is our goal, but we have to make sure priorities are in the right spot. Anyone ever heard of Eddie Van Halen? You know, jump. All you do is jump. Ah, sorry, it's playing a soundtrack in my mind. Eddie Van Halen was one of the first big performers to t begin to take shows to smaller stages. And he would bring in really heavy things, really heavy speakers, heavy pyrotechnics, heavy, physically heavy equipment. And when they would come to these smaller stages, they would have specifications for their equipment that had to be at particular standards. Because if they weren't, stages would collapse, performers would be hurt, stagehands would be hurt, like people could die this way, or get burned or whatever. So they, so they would have these, this list of uh, ridiculous, sometimes it sounded like ridiculous demands uh, of all these things they want. If for us to come do a show at your venue, we need to have floor joists able to hold so much weight every six inches, every 12, 12 inches. We need to have this much electricity with this, I don't know how they measured it. We need all, we need all, all the stuff, here's the specifications. And they would have this big old, old list. Eddie Van Halen was the first to put something that seemed ridiculous. A bowl of M&Ms with all the brown ones removed. Anyone ever heard of performers having ridiculous things? Like, you've heard of that story? Like, I, I heard, when I was in high school, I heard Britney Spears wanted a bowl of green M&Ms only. I was like, what? are they just proud of themselves and want to show off that they can demand that kind of thing? No, Eddie Van Halen's team did that because when they would go to these smaller stages, the crew production head guy, the top guy of the, of the crew, he would come out and the venue would meet him and they'd say, hi, we're ready for Eddie Van Halen, woo! And he would say, okay, show me the bowl of M&Ms. And if they said, the what? Oh yeah, here's some M&Ms. We, we, we saw that, we got you some M&Ms. If there was brown ones in it, then he knew that they didn't pay attention to his list of things they needed to have. So if there was brown ones in it, he would say, guys, come on, check every single thing on the list. Check everything. Check every joist. Make sure every joist is long enough. Check everything, to, because we have to make sure we're safe. But if he walked in and said, uh, show me the bowl of M&Ms, and they said, here they are, no brown ones, he would go, cool, load it. Because he knew if they paid attention to that, they paid attention to everything else. That was the reason of why that crazy demand was on there. It was really just a, a, a sneaky way to, to make their load in quicker. When something goes wrong in your life, when something goes wrong, can you put up the big list, please, Don? Go back, Don, can you go back a, a slide to the whole list, all eight things, please? The whole list of all eight things. Yep, there you go. If something's wrong with your work and your ministry, stop everything. Stop everything. What's wrong? Check the whole list. Number one, how's your relationship with God? How's your relationship with yourself? How about your spouse? How about your children? How about your church? Because those things above it affect the things below it. When something gets out of whack, we have to start at the top. Always start at number one. How's my relationship with God? When you're having a fight with your wife, start. How's my relationship with God? Would you stand with me? The band can come on up. What has been less important? Um, let me just ask you to do this. Keep that list up, please, Don. Uh, just keep it up, one through eight. 
what in your life, can you examine 2020? What in your life has had a low priority that needs a higher, a higher one? What's gotten out of whack, out of order? What in your life has a high priority that has taken a lower one? We've got to get these right. We've got to get it together for our life to be uh, fulfilled and to fulfill the purpose that God has called for us. We've got to get it together. Can we pray? Lord, thank you for being a God of order and for ordering our lives. Lord, we submit to you and we want to submit to your order. So Lord, today we trust you and we surrender to your plan, your ways. Help us get it together so we can function for your purpose, for your cause. We know that you've called us to something. Lord, empower us and guide us to do it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.